0: Alright, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at LibertyBallers.com. Joining me for this one, he is the man behind most of the magic you see at LibertyBallers.com. He's Mr. Paul Hudrick, I'm Jazz Kang. A big game in Philly last night. The Sixers, minus Joel Embiid, minus James Harden end up beating the Eastern Conference-leading Miami Heat. Paul, you were there in person. Just describe what the night was like from beginning to end because I'm assuming once you saw the news that both Embiid them beating Harden were out, you're like, okay, this is likely going to be a loss.
1: It's funny because, uh, you know, it's been like a circus down there um, since the Harden trade happened. And every night it's been, it's almost like a playoff game every single night. It was noticeably not that. Uh, when you're sitting there watching everybody warm up. And normally, you know, just to give everybody a little bit of context that doesn't go to the games, Harden and Beat are literally the last two guys to warm up. So it's kind of like all this anticipation builds. There's people waiting at the tunnel. All the, all the media guys are waiting there to, you know, snap a video or a photo. All the fans are there trying to take the pictures of themselves, a selfie with those guys on the court and all that. And just nothing. Um, because, you know, then it's the last two guys are like George Niang and Danny Green, which with all due respect to those guys, not quite as much buzz uh, when they warm up. And then, you know, me and I'm sitting there and like it's, it's the same thing for us. So all, all, everybody in the media, I'm sitting there kind of waiting and sitting there. And I'm kind of I kind of said to myself at one point, like, why am I even sitting here? Like, there's there's nothing to happen. I might as well go to the media room, grab a cup of cup, coffee and a bite to eat or something. And um, yeah, like I see a guy walk by with a beer. I'm like, man, I'd, I think I'd rather be at home right now <laughs> sit, sit home with a beer. Um, So, yeah, like there's just just no juice, uh, just no juice to start the night. Then you see the starting lineup. You see it's Paul Millsap at center. um, And you just know, all right, here we go. 48 minutes of uh, DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap. Cool. Uh, Against this Miami Heat team that's fully healthy right now. Other than Sixers killer uh, Gabe Vincent, uh, who turns into Steph Curry every time he plays them. So that was a big loss for Miami to not have him. But then the game starts and, you know, they played really hard and they were in the game the whole time. They... Credit to Millsap. I thought, you know, DeAndre Jordan still didn't look very good to me, but Paul Millsap I thought was actually decent, uh, pretty decent on the defensive end of the floor. I thought he did a really good job on Bam out of bio for most of the night. I thought he was much more effective than DeAndre Jordan. And so um, credit to him, credit to the, the you know, Shake Milton and Furkan Korkmaz. Both those guys have been kind of relegated to, you know, fringy rotation players, both had huge nights and both, Really gave them a much much needed spark off the bench, and then of course, once it gets to the fourth quarter, and to watch Tyrese Maxi and what he did in that fourth quarter, um, just electrified the crowd. You, the, the crowd is chanting Maxi, um, and it, it felt like a playoff game with no Joel Embiid, no James Harden in the fourth quarter against the best team in the Eastern Conference. It felt like a playoff game, and it's a credit to again the guys. You know, basically giving Maxi this opportunity, kind of teeing him up to take that game over the way he did. Uh, they, they attacked Tyler Hero viciously in the fourth quarter. I think they exposed him big time on the defensive end of the floor, and that's the, to the point where the heat switched to a zone, and even that wasn't effective. And then Maxie hits the two crazy step backs. Um, the N one was hilarious. Like he hit, he gets that N one uh against Cody Martin, and he's right in front of the media section huge smile from ear to ear and it does one of these to the crowd to tell them to get louder and it was just it was a fun night man um and it's just it's the most sixers thing ever to go against toronto down to start the, the, with the raptors down two starters with you at full strength to lose that game then the next night for the miami heat to come in here at mostly full strength as the top seed in the east and you beat him without Joel and beating James Harden. It is the most like it, 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 like going into that, these two games, you said, Okay, a split would have been great, that would have been fine. Never in a million years would you have expected it to happen, but then at the same time, just such a sixers thing to happen.
0: Yeah, that was it. Because you know, going back to that Sunday night game against the Raptors, you know, no Fred Van Vliet, no OG Ananobi, you're like, Okay. This is a game to 6 should win look great in the first quarter with 37 points, only scored 51 the rest of the way and you're thinking I like I said I'm like I started looking at the standings I'm like oh man I'm like okay so let's just say they do lose to Miami without Embiid and Harden you're looking at maybe they go down to that 4 or 5 spot okay not a big deal you know if you if you even go at 4 you get Chicago or Cleveland now they won now they're two and a half games back of Miami for the for the top seed and there's that log jam with Boston Milwaukee, obviously, I think to me, those are the four best teams in the East if you're including uh, the Sixers and, and the Heat and the Bucks and the Celtics. So looking at it from, from that perspective and going back to what you saw last night, you mentioned a couple of guys that had really been struggling, right? You look at FERC and the funny part is we did this about a month ago and I'm like, yeah, we'll probably see FERC play a good game again in the middle of March. And that's that's exactly, well, almost closer to the end of March, but that's what ended up happening. Uh, you mentioned Shake Milton. He had 20 points, six assists off the bench. Is there something different that, different that you notice, Paul, when these guys are maybe playing without Embiid and Harden? Obviously, there's a difference in terms of you're gonna get more shots, you're gonna get more opportunity in the offensive end because those guys are so damn good that they deserve to be getting a lot, you know, the ball in their hands, a lot of the possessions. But do you see anything different in terms of the freedom, the way they play when those guys maybe not in the lineup?
1: I think it's the word you just said on freedom. Um, because and I actually, I specifically asked Doc Rivers this post game, and I said, like, what what, what is it going to take? Like, what what can Shake and Firk, what can they carry over so that when they're playing with Joel or when they're playing with uh, James, how can they make that work? How, how can they, you know, optimize their skills so that they're playing at this level with those guys? Because if they do, the Sixers become infinitely more dangerous if those guys play the way they did last night with, at, with the team at full strength. And he said it's basically just, it's two young guys that have never played with two superstars like this. With all due respect to Ben Simmons, he's a different kind of player. You know, and you know, this iteration of Joel Embiid is greater than any we've seen in the past. So the adjustment of having to play next to those two guys is just something that, quite frankly, you know, Maxi has adjusted really well. Tobias Harris has started to adjust. Um, you know, George Niang has fit in really well. Yeah. It's just something with Shake and FERC, they haven't quite figured out where they fit next to those guys. And it's tough. Listen, this is something I think, you know, we have a lot of debates about players and, you know, we talk about guys in the rotation and whether they're good enough and whether they should be playing and all this, that is not an easy thing for shake Milton or Cork Moss. It's hard enough to just have to be like this, right. To be like those fringy rotation guys, where you don't know if you're going to play and you don't know if you make one mistake, if you're going to be back on the bench, like it's not an easy job Um, And then you pair that with having to play with James Harden, having to play with Joel Embiid and the prep, like, yes, it's, it's good and it it can help you, but it can also add a lot of pressure. And I think with shake, you know, the, the three games prior to this, he didn't even take a shot. He had played some minutes, but he hadn't taken a single shot. And I think that is him putting pressure on himself to not want to mess up and to not want to get out of the rotation. So he was like fine. He didn't make any mistakes, but he was completely invisible, basically. So, it's just a matter of those two guys. I mean, for Ferk, I think it's just a matter of the balls. The ball's got to go in. Um, it, it, when he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, he's really cold. So, for him, it's just you got to hope you catch him on a hot streak and that you can ride that into the postseason. And, and you know, and in you know, in the postseason, for Shake, I think it's, I think the confidence is there. I think he's a very confident player and. Um, you see he's a little feisty he was kind of giving it to hero a little bit when he was going and um, I think that's something you like about shake Milton but I think for him it's finding that balance of when is it appropriate for me to attack when I have James Harden on the court and when is it appropriate for me to just take a step back and, and be in a corner and just be ready to shoot and I think that would be something that I, I'm actually interested you know the next time we talk to James Harden what did he see there because for all the talk we hear about James Harden and all the narratives, he's a ball hog, but he has done, he's really pushed Tyrese Maxey to be better and to be more aggressive. Like he's really one of the other guys to take over. So I'm curious what he would have to say, you know, sitting back and watching that shake Milton performance. um, You know, what is, what does he think is the, is the way that shake Milton can carry that performance over into when he's playing with James Harden. So that's going to be, that's probably going to be the biggest question mark coming down the stretch is how like which one of those two guys between Furkan Korkmaz and Shake Milton really steps up because I think the other the eight guys are set when you're talking about the starters Danny Green George Niang and yes Gulp DeAndre Jordan Um, who's going to be kind of the other guy that sticks out is it going to be Shake Milton is it going to be Furkan Korkmaz I think they're going to be in a competition till the end of the season so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out.
0: Paul, look at, looking at the big picture stuff now too, like like we mentioned, you know, we're looking at that. That was a big game uh, against the Heat for them to win. I mean, that like we said, I mean, I was watching. You know, you're watching the game. They're kind of hanging on. They're exchanging leads, and you're kind of like, okay, are they just going to give up the lead in Miami? You know, Jimmy Butler's going to score eight points in a row, and all of a sudden the Heat are up by seven. You know what I mean? And it's game over. But it didn't get there. You know, we we mentioned. You know, you, you talked about how great Tyrese Maxey was that step back three that put him up eight with about a minute and a half left in the in the fourth quarter. But looking at what, like you mentioned, guys like for guys like Shake Milton, the consistency. And this is one thing I, I've noticed with Doc Rivers too, watching the Sixers you know, pretty much every, every game this season, is the lack of creativity on the offensive end and lack of adjustments. Whether that's calling a play coming out of a timeout where, yeah, you're not going to score every time, but you want to see the team get a good look at the very least. You know what I mean? That, hey, this is a drawn-up set piece. We're able to get... A wide open look from the corner for a three, or uh, you know, a guy cutting to the hoop for for a layup, whatever it is, we don't see that a lot from the Sixers. And you mentioned this earlier um during the podcast: is Tyler Hero? They they saw that advantage. They said, just pick on that dude as much as you can. Um, there was even a possession there where they switched off. He just gave it to Tobias Harris. He's like, you go to work now. You know what I mean? Maxie did, and he's like, go do it. Is that something that? you were worried about with the Sixers moving forward and obviously given doc's history. And then this, you know, I'm not saying anything earth shattering where there are concerns about how he's ran his bench. There are concerns about how he gets stuck on what he wants to do, especially on the offensive end. So when you're looking at this, do you think doc's going to learn anything from what happened last night? Like, Hey man, adjust on the fly and good things can happen.
1: There is a quote um doc before the game was asked about that, about the rotations and all that. And he said, uh, it must be a Philly thing that everyone gets upset about the rotations. And a lot of people were very quick to point out. I uh, no, you were, it was very much a subject of conversation in LA uh, with the Clippers. So this is not the first, this is not new territory for Doc Rivers with the rotation player. So uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a concern of mine. It, it certainly is. And I, you know, he says like, Oh, we have like, you know, 11 guys that are playable. And it's like, okay, that's, that's cool. That's fair, I guess. But like, you should probably narrow it down to eight or nine guys who you are going to play consistently and let them get into a rhythm and let them find their roles. Um, and I think that was a big issue last year, especially when you lose Danny Green um, in the playoffs. You know, Shake Milton's role was kind of up and down. He had that one huge game against Atlanta where he basically won in the game in the second half. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz continued to start, and I don't, I don't think he put Furkan Korkmaz in a position to succeed, quite frankly, because uh, Korkmaz wasn't playing particularly well, and he threw him in the starting lineup. For spacing purposes, and I get that, but I think perhaps at that moment, Shake or Tyrese Maxey would have been the better option. And I, I just, I don't, I can't kill Furkan Korkmaz for that because I just don't think he was put in a, in a in a position to succeed. And the other thing would be, you know, white Howard struggled throughout that entire Atlanta series. Doc never went to Ben Simmons at the five. He never made that adjustment. So, um, as much as yeah, like if, if Ben Simmons hits, I don't know, sixty percent of his free throws, they probably win that series in five games. Um, I I think the lack of adjustments from Doc Rivers did hurt them. And as you mentioned, I mean the guy has blown 3-1 leads. Uh, this is a thing that's happened to him, it's a pattern. So those are concerns. With that said, I agree. I think he coached a pretty damn good game last night, especially in the guts of the game when he did. He saw that they were attacking Tyler Hero and they were exploiting him and he, they kept going to it, they kept running actions um to get him singled up on Tyrese Maxey, whether that was with DHOs or just screens and you know, and again, I, I don't think anyone was thrilled when they saw Paul Mass Paul Millsap's name in the starting lineup, but Millsap had a pretty good game. And I think he matched he matches up for whatever reason, he matches up really well with Bam Adebayo. Uh Bam Adebayo didn't have a particularly great game except for when DeAndre Jordan was was in there. So, you know, Doc did. He pressed he pressed a lot of really good buttons last night, so I got, you have to give him credit for that. And there are games when he does that, um, we we like to point at the negative, and I get that, but there are games when he does that, and I think there are adjustments he's made with the Sixers where he's gotten the most out of guys. He has made adjustments with Joel Embiid to get him the ball in more favorable spots to get him away from double teams. He has done that. That is something he has done well. On top of Joel being Joel and being an MVP candidate, he has found ways to make that work um, with Tobias Harris as well. Granted, t- this year Tobias has been much more up and down, but you look at last year and what he was able to get at Tobias Harris. um, You, you have to give him, and I get it. Tyrese Maxey has done a lot of this on his own. He's, he's a hard worker and he's developed, but you have to give Doc Rivers, like some credit um, for developing him and Sam Cassell, some credit for um, allowing Maxey to kind of have this star turn here. So yes, it, it is certainly a concern. Um, something that I worry about, but, yeah, I, I I think there is something to glean perhaps from this matchup, and I look at it, Jazz. It's fun. I think of that Drake meme, like the uh the and then the that meme. I think like Doc Rivers is <laughs> star players. Yeah. Doc Rivers with reserves. <laughs> yeah, like he's yeah. just for whatever reason he gets the most out of lineups when guys are not like when it's like you saw it with the Clippers when they scrap their way into the playoffs that one year. Then he gets Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and he and he blows a three one lead. Like it's it's mind boggling to me. Um, the way that works. So I don't know what he has to do, like to get himself in the, in the mindset. Um, I think Jackson Frank joke, maybe he has to coach blindfolded and just not know who's on the floor and just coach. Um, but that it's, there's something like there are moments when you're like, okay, this is why doc rivers has been a good coach
0: and why he's had success. And there's other times where you scratch your head. Oh, I'm with you on that, Paul, because I mean, and and that's what you mentioned. You look at earlier in the season when they had all those injuries, Joel and B Tobias Harris, uh, the COVID stuff. They were they lost, you know, a couple of games by blowouts, but still with a lack of talent and a lack of high-end talent, they were able to stick around, and they played really, really well. And at that point, we're praising Doc. Look at what he's doing with this ragtag lineup of guys without an MVP candidate.
1: Another thing I would point to, too, is their road record. They were yeah. a historically horrible road team before Doc Rivers got here, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they turned that around since he's gotten here. So I think as much as there are there's plenty to criticize. They're really quite frankly, there is. Um, But I I think that sometimes we don't give him credit because he has done some things. Well, Um, I have been the first to criticize him on certain things. The, the continuing to play Deandre Jordan is just like, I almost feel like he's messing with us at this point um, (laughs) to just keep rolling this guy out there. But um, there have been some good things he has done. I know Sixers fans don't want to hear that, and maybe a lot of them don't agree with it, but there are some things he has done. He
0: deserves some credit. He does. Yeah, he does. And that's fair. I think we're going to look at this. But again, you know, it's a different thing now, Paul, with Harden coming in. This is a championship or bust team, right? There's no in between that. Oh, hey, Doc, you know, the team's growing with you. You had a great regular season. You got to the third round. Even if they get to the conference finals and lose in game seven, there's going to be heat on him because that is. Where this t- Sixers team is at when you make a deal like that for Harden, you know one of the top seventy-five players of all time, uh, perennial All-Star, MVP candidate during his time in Houston, the pressure is on when you got an MVP guy and Embiid as well. So I think that some of the criticism has been warranted, and he's going to have extra pressure on him. If we continue to see these mistakes, like you're saying, if DeAndre Jordan is getting more minutes than he needs to in the playoffs, people are going to question that and they lose those games because we've seen the non-MB, non harden minutes. That has been a struggle. Even since they got Harden, uh, hardened. Now they made that trade on February the 10th. The Sixers bench has not been great. You look at what they do with those two on the floor, outscoring opponents by almost 16 points per hundred uh, possessions. Looking at that, obviously they have a good thing going there. Although the inconsistency again is going to be an issue when you look at the ups and downs with the bench. But when you're looking at this now from the bigger picture, Paul, um, what do the Sixers have to do? Do you think they have any shot to get into that top seat? Again, as I mentioned earlier, only two and a half games behind the heat for number one in the East. If you look at the way the strength of schedule breaks down, this is courtesy of tankathon. The Celtics have the hardest schedule in the NBA remaining Milwaukee. Number five, The Sixers are sitting way down at 24 while Miami's in the middle of pack at 15. Like, do you think that they're going to be now, especially given that win yesterday? Do you think they're going to be looking at this as an organization and saying, hey, let's go for it? Because, again, looking at the Sixers upcoming matchups, you got both the L.A. teams uh, again, both very beatable. The Lakers stink. The Clippers have been okay, But again, that's a winnable game, especially considering you're not playing a back to back. Then you're looking at Phoenix on Sunday. Again, that's a difficult one. Milwaukee after that. Chris Paul back too, I think. For yeah, Chris Paul, Chris Paul Chris is going to be back. But again, you're, you're looking at the end of the end of the season. You got Detroit, Charlotte, Cleveland, the Pacers, Raptors, and then the Pacers and Pistons to wrap things up. So things are breaking pretty well for the Sixers if they want to get into either that one or two seat.
1: Right. I mean, when you were looking at it a couple of weeks ago, I think – It was almost the inverse like Miami's schedule looked like it was really lining up pretty well for them. Um, But yeah, I mean, after this stretch, basically, I mean, like you said, two winnable games in LA um, that Phoenix game is going to be, that's going to be a real tough one. And then play Milwaukee, which is never easy. So, but after that stretch, Whew, it really does. It lightens up. I mean, Toronto and Charlotte are really the only teams that you look at. You think like, all right, that those are going to be tough. Even Charlotte, the Sixers match up extremely well with Charlotte. Um, and then I think I, I have this funny feeling that they maybe feel like they owe Toronto one after that last loss. Um, so I expect them to come out pretty fired up for that one. But yeah, I, I it's it's tough jazz because it, and we talked about this so many times. It's and it, it, last night's a perfect example with Joel Embiid and James Harden both sitting. It's that fine line of yes, it would be gr- to get the number one seed would be big. It would be huge to get the number one seed, but it does you no good if you get the number one seed and Joel Embiid and James Harden are not as healthy as they can possibly be going into the postseason. Because if either one of them is is you know if that hamstring is a little wonky with James Harden, if that back stiffening up on Joel Embiid. It doesn't matter if they're the one seed because that it's gonna hurt them to, to not have that. So if you're the three seed but those guys are healthy, that's a much better position to be. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a balancing act. I, I think look, they're gonna try to win every game, right? I mean they're they're gonna try they're gonna go out every night and try to win each one of these last what is it like eleven games left. They're gonna try to win all of them. But if there's an opportunity to get Joel Embiid or James Harden arrest, and it makes sense, and and you know, whether it's Embiid's back flares up, or James Harden's hamstring flares up, it's worth it to maybe just give them a night off. Um, the back-to-back situation—I want to look at the schedule real quick because I'm not. I think they have two more left, right? Um, so that makes things a little bit tricky. Uh, I think. So the, I mean, you know, you have a back-to-back against Charlotte and Cleveland. That's not going to be easy. Um, especially ones in well, it's a little weird. One's an afternoon game, and then it's six o'clock on Sunday, which is a little weird, but that's all right. Uh, but then obviously the back to back, the closing season is is Indiana and Detroit. So that's one where, yeah, you better you win hope those you, two if there is, yeah.
0: if, if it means something, yeah, you better win right. those you two. You hope you yeah. don't
1: have to play those guys either. You know, one of those games, maybe you give them a day off, but they'll, they'll probably play the Cleveland and Charlotte one because that's two tough games. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it's a, it's just kind of weaving around that and just kind of walking that line of yeah we're going to go for the one seed but also we want to keep these guys healthy so it's it is possible it is incredibly possible that they could be the one seed but then you look like right behind them and you have milwaukee right there with them uh boston right there with them uh i think chicago is going to keep falling. i think chicago and cleveland are, are kind of free falling a little bit here so i i don't mad like they they might slip into the playing game situation at least one of them might yeah the Raptors Um, are right there too that's that's dicey so uh but I agree with you when you said you know those are the top four teams it's my it's the Heat it's the Sixers it's the Bucks it's the Celtics I think they have all clearly separated themselves from the rest of the pack as far as the can the true contenders in the east uh clearly Brooklyn is looming if they can get it together and and if it all kind of lines up just right but their path is not going to be easy to have to win two playing games just to get to the playoffs and have to play a really good team for seven games uh, in a seven-game series. That's not the easiest thing in the world. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see the way it shakes out. I really think of those top four teams, Jazz, it could be any of them. It could be any order among those four teams. I really believe that because, yes, Boston's schedule is really hard, but they're playing better than anybody in the NBA right now. They're playing great, great basketball. Um, They just – you know, wrapped up a really successful West Coast swing. So, I mean, it's like the Sixers definitely have a shot at one, but they could be four. And if they are four, I think they'll be okay. Um, Because then you're looking at probably Chicago or Cleveland. And that's either one of those teams or a team they should beat. Um, If you're looking at three, six, it's probably going to be Cleveland or or, or Chicago.
0: Maybe the Raptors, too. Yeah, we we don't know yet. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. Where it gets tricky is if you're the two and you have to play Brooklyn. That's where it gets. It's almost like you want to be one, three or four. Two is the one you almost want to avoid. So that, that it's such a weird thing there where you, and, and listen, I, I, if it breaks that way and, and you, and you get the two and Brooklyn wins two play games to get there. I think you should still beat Brooklyn in a best of seven series. Um, It's not going to be easy and you'd prefer to play one of the other teams that you've kind of handled, but um, it's still a thing you should be. And I think, It's not just the Sixers. Like when we talk about this, Milwaukee doesn't want to play Brooklyn in the first round. The Heat don't want to play Brooklyn in the first round. The Celtics, like nobody wants to see Brooklyn in the first round because even if you win, it's not going to be an easy series.
0: Yeah, and it's going to take a lot out of you. And as you mentioned, Paul, you're looking at the top four. I think, you know, and again, no disrespect to Chicago or Cleveland or even the Raptors. The Nets are a top five team in the East. Those are the five teams that you're looking yeah. at, especially given Agreed. you know we don't know what's going to happen with the mandate in New York. If uh, if Kyrie's going to be able to play, Ben Simmons again now dealing with serious back issues, don't know if he's going to be able to come back. But that you know again, I, I'm I'm with you. I don't think anybody wants to play the Nets in round one. But we got only about two and a half weeks left in the season, so we're going to get our answer soon enough. All right, Paul, let's take a break here. Coming up on the other side, we'll have Harrison Fagan with our sister site at SB Nation, Silverscreen, and Roll.com. They cover the Lakers there. We'll preview Wednesday night's national TV matchup between Philly and L.A. That's coming up after a short break. All right, and welcome back to part two of the episode. Joining Paul and I for this one, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy behind SB Nation's growth entirely, the podcasting industry as well, (laughs) Mr. Harrison Fagan. Harrison, he worked for Silver Screen and Roll, as I mentioned before the break. How are you doing being a Lakers fan? They have won the last couple of games now. They beat Cleveland. LeBron put up that nasty dunk over K-Love. He finished with 38 points, 11 rebounds, 12 assists. Are things starting to look up a bit in Lakerland going into this matchup against the Sixers on Wednesday? Uh, yeah, they, they certainly are. And I mean, for me
2: personally, it's always been going well. You know, single-handedly building SB Nation this year by myself, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it took energy. But that allowed me to have something positive going on, even when the Lakers have spent, I would say... I don't know, like 75% of the season playing like they, not just like hate their job or whatever, but like hate the sport of basketball itself. And so the last three games in kind of that respect have been a massive improvement. I mean, they're only two and one over that time. They, you know, last night they spent most of the post game talking about how they had played 11 of 12 good quarters, which is true. Uh, It was just that the one bad quarter that they played against the Wizards, they gave up like a 16 point lead and single-handedly let Chris Porzingis crush them in 2022 just. Bye virtue of being tall and shooting over little guards like they were folding chairs. But other than that, like, yeah, like you said, really positive win in Cleveland. The team appears to be trying again, which as much of a backhanded compliment as that sounds like is massive progress for this team. So, you know, I I mean, I think that they seem to have decided, you know, we're all stuck with each other for another 10 games. Let's try and make the best of this, even though none of us are really happy with how all of this has went. You know, it's it's almost like they're ending the huddles with one, two, three. Let's not embarrass ourselves type of thing.
1: <laughs> well, you know, we didn't even mention that Harrison has also infiltrated the Philly sports media Uh, because now, yeah, you know, man,
2: my my best friend, me and my best friend Mike Missinelli, you know, who just hates we, anyone named Harrison. Me are, or are Sanford, we going to talk about what happened you know.
0: to Harrison? Can you let can you let the listeners know what happened on on that? This was what, a couple months ago. We we're talking about
2: yeah. So I sent a joke tweet about Ben Simmons saying that he did not want to show up to training camp. I, I I sent that video of that guy. Uh, you know singing the answer is no basically it's like the sixers do you want to show up for training camp ben simmons and then that guy singing the answer is no and mike misanelli in all of his genius decided that this was how i was trying to get scoops from rich paul me Noted insider who breaks lots of clutch stories, Harrison (laughs) Fagan, you know, was, you know, people forget this, but Rich Paul solely doles out leaks based on who sends the best memes. It's why, you know, like Shams and Woj, it's how they get all their scoops is they send these like Josiah Johnson type tweets and then they get like updates on Ben Simmons or LeBron or whoever it is. And so Mike Missinelli in his brilliance decided that this is the problem in journalism today was jokes about Ben Simmons deciding that he didn't really feel like practicing in training camp.
0: And you really thought, I mean, I'm assuming when you sent that. And, out, and this re- was before the, to be
2: clear, this was like before the, I believe before the mental health stuff and all of that. So I'm, I'm not yeah. that insensitive. That was, it was more just like, I am demanding a trade at that point.
0: But this the, is like he, right before camp. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he also, and he also Harrison, you really thought that you really thought that, Daryl Morey would trade Russell Westbrook for Ben Simmons that's why you wanted to to send that out right yeah I was trying to
2: I was trying to move the needle and kind of push the narrative for the Lakers so yeah
0: (laughs) well Rich Paul like you mentioned noted clutch clutch uh, insider yeah people call me
2: you know like Harrison Fagan of clutch sports that's how many (laughs) stories about clutch that I break it's a you know I get all the scoops and it's all because of my memes you know Ellie figured me out
0: (laughs) you know what we could sit here and joke like this all day unfortunately we don't have we don't have time so let's jump into uh some serious stuff although we know we do this when we're on our on our own zoom calls talking about our nba kind of planning meetings but uh looking at this harrison the lakers sitting in ninth in the western conference only a game up on new orleans for 10th likely going to be playing the pelicans doesn't matter whether it's going to be there or in la uh in the opening round of, of the play-in tournament but you're looking at this squad like even if anthony davis does come back and he's 70 of himself is there any hope for this team that they are going to maybe, I, I again, playing the Suns in round one, I, I obviously <laughs> the Suns are just a better team. But like, is there any sort of sentiment around the squad that, hey, if we get AD back and we kind of maybe start getting a little bit healthier and rolling, that we can make some noise? Or is it just like you're looking at this, and we've seen this before, that the guys are just waiting for the season to end? Yeah, so it's definitely more of that second thing. Uh, Like you know, they have said all
2: year, and they, they were saying at post game last night, like we, you know, it doesn't matter. We don't care about the narratives outside of this team, and we only, you know, we we just listen to what we have to say in our locker room, and we still believe. But until the last couple games, their play or commitment to playing basketball has not really shown that in any way, shape, or form. You know, may again, maybe this is some this is the latest. Like uh, you know, I've been sending the joke on Twitter all year. Like new season starts now because of how many times you know the. Lakers, they would have early on in the season, they'd have a positive win and everyone would be like, all right, they figured it out. New season starts now. And then it's like, no, actually, they just kind of got up to play and beat a lottery team. And they're just going to go right back to not really getting back in transition or whatever. So, and this team in games has become notorious for fake comebacks. So, As far as like outside hope or even really within the fan base of, you know, can this team do anything meaningful? I don't think that that really exists. They are claiming that they still believe that they can make a real run here you know, that remains to be seen. They they would definitely need probably more than 70% of Anthony Davis to make that happen. They need like 110% Anthony Davis. And with 10 games left, it's not really clear when he's coming back. It's it sort of, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to get that version of Anthony Davis that can kind of just hit the ground running. You know, he, he has a midfoot sprain right now, which is obviously you can't really keep your NBA conditioning up. If you have a foot injury, it's not like if you have like a hand or wrist injury or something where you can still work out and run and all these things. And so I'm not very optimistic. I have sort of been assuming that the season is over for the last like week, especially based on the Lakers play before the last couple games. games. Um, so yeah, uh, to answer your question about hope, I, I, they claim that it exists. I'm not sure that it really does, but we'll see.
1: In, in the words of the great American poet, Q-tip uh, couldn't relate because it's like the exact opposite. It's like, I'm thinking about like, you're talking about like, you guys Lakers. were
2: getting pretty nihilistic there for a while. And then it sure. is back. Yeah, sure.
1: Well, listen, you, you trade a guy who doesn't want to play for you for a guy who is a top 75 player of all time. It tends to brighten things up a little bit, but it, you talked about like the fact that the Lakers kind of, it's almost like, like, I'm just here. Like I'm just here. So I don't get fine kind of attitude. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have Tyrese Maxey after to the heat game. Saying like he thanks God every day for the opportunity to play basketball, and it's just like the most joyful guy to watch. So it's just funny. Like the LeBron sort of that gave that and- a quote
2: like that last night, where he said that he's having I'm literally having the time of my life right now. Like he did he he literally did the I can't believe this is my life, smiling through <laughs> it all. But like as a post game quote, and so he. Set, claims that he is having fun and that he is trying to find joy in the season. I actually sort of believe him. I think that he has tried to make the best of what he knows is sort of a loss campaign. Like he was the one sort of leading the charge of this is hopeless a couple months ago, like right before the trade deadline. I don't know if you guys remember this, but they lost to the Bucs and he was asked straight up, do you think that you can get to the Bucs level? And he said, no no elaboration, just no, like I cannot, I don't think so. Then they didn't make a trade. He sort of was, you know, he was still getting his numbers, but he was clearly loafing, especially on defense. But the last couple of weeks he has turned it up a notch and it's not just the scoring title thing. I think he really is trying to, you know, at the very least not go out and give fans such a negative taste in their mouth about him, about his play, about this season. Like, Hey, at least that guy went out there and really tried. And the team does seem to be starting to follow his lead.
0: Harrison, who do you think is going to take the scoring title? As at the time we're recording this podcast, LeBron right at 30 points per game after his big outing against the Cavs, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, only 0.2 points behind him at 29.8. Who do you think is ultimately going to take the scoring title this season?
2: I, I do think it's going to be LeBron and you guys can kind of give me your thoughts on this, but it just feels like the Lakers need his scoring more than any of those other teams kind of need, need it from their guys. Like you, you guys have Harden now uh, to help take some of that load. You have Tyrese Maxey, like, you know, LeBron, it, you're, Joel Embiid is getting a lot more scoring help. Giannis, you know, I mean, maybe he wants to win the scoring title, but I'm not sure that that's like what motivates him. For LeBron, this is all that, you know, the Lakers have left. This is the only notch that he can really get during this season and the Lakers, you know, people have accused him of stat padding. It's not like, what do they want? Like Avery Bradley to get more shots. You know, LeBron has to take basically every shot for this team to have a, sh- have a chance on any given night. And so I just think that he has both the motivation, the opportunity and the team just plain has the need for him to score that much. And that I do think that he will probably end up winning the scoring title.
1: Our, our usual friend, Dwight Howard uh, got back in the starting lineup and I'm curious what you see because it seems like he's been their best. Oh, clearly better option than DeAndre Jordan. Uh, Low bar, but, but yes, yes, as you we're finding out. <laughs> yes, oh yes, uh, painfully. Well, I think I think everyone other than Doc Rivers knew that. But um how do you see that panning out tomorrow? You know, when he has to go up against Joel Embiid, uh, what do you think? Is it just the does Vogel just live with whatever happens? Like Dwight Howard, Joel Embiid 101. Do you see him getting creative? Do you see double, triple teams? Like, what, how do you think the, the, the attack is there against Embiid?
2: Yeah. So, you know, this is something where Dwight has been the team's best, other than Anthony Davis, obviously, but he has been the team's best option, at least at guarding traditional bigs and things like that. But Dwight has, you know, you, you and Philly, I'm sure started to see this a little bit at times last year, but he really has declined from where he was when he was with the Lakers two years ago and playing like a huge role off the bench in their run to the title. Like he just does not like Dwight may end up retiring after this year. Like he just does not look good last night. He didn't even really look engaged. He was like the only guy on the team that just did not look very interested in playing at all in Cleveland. And so, and you know, it's hard to blame him on some level. He's been yanked in and out of the rotation and there's been questionable coaching decisions made all year. So I do think that you know, maybe a matchup with Embiid is sort of just for pride's sake. This is his old teammate. You know, maybe he gets a little fired up playing his old team, but I honestly don't know. He really is their only traditionally sized option against them because, you know, any Sixers fan that's listening to this, or you guys can look at the Lakers roster, you know, their backup center right now is Wenyan Gabriel, who's on a two-way contract and, uh, and LeBron, uh, you know, on some nights he's their starting center, but yeah, I don't think that you can start LeBron against Embiid. They have, when, whenever they go up against like like one of these actual kind of monsters in the post, they they generally do go back to Dwight. I'm just not really sure how that's going to go. And as you guys have seen with Dwight, he does have a tendency to pick up some early foul trouble sometimes, uh, especially when he's guarding, you know, one of these guys like Embiid or Jokic or one of these centers that teams actually run their offense through. So we'll see how that goes. But he definitely looks like a shell of himself compared to really even what I saw from him last year. Like he even had moments in the playoffs last year, and he just doesn't look like that this year anymore to me.
1: Well, here's Dwight a... versus DeAndre minutes are going to be amazing. Very much. Yeah, that's, that's, oh that's, man, I need this. Yeah, yeah. We, we need those practice battles just to see, like,
2: how did DeAndre <laughs> win the starting job? Like, was he actually was he given it to the like? That was the low key thing about people were complaining about DeAndre all year. They're like, play Dwight. Now I'm like watching these games. So I'm like, Dwight's better, but not by that much like it's not like, like you you're know.
1: describing deandre jordan versus paul millsat for the record um. yeah like it's
2: <laughs> like i mean yes dwight it's like an nba player and dj's not but the, like that's about the extent of it yeah
0: well, I mean, it might be the DeAndre Jordan revenge game, right? Gets bought out. We've seen that, you know, Doc thinks he's been oh, great God. so far, right, Paul? So yeah, we'll see I, I kind DJ of need Frank. this.
2: I need like I need like a couple like I, like I need a second quarter stretch where DJ scores like eight points on lob dunks. Like yes. this,
0: this would be amazing. And then he's talking smack to the crowd, getting into it. That that would be actually yeah. He starts yelling at fans, DJ,
2: the DJ, that maybe the nicest man in the NBA starts yelling at Lakers fans. Uh, this, <laughs> this would be great.
1: See, um, like unlike the Lakers, the Sixers actually have like big guys that play and they just <laughs> don't play them yeah but they're um, young
2: so that vis-a-vis they suck right, uh you right. know that that is that's how you know charles bassey, especially but most coaches yeah. seem to think is yeah. like you yeah. know if you're young you must be bad at basketball like there's yeah. no there's just no way you can be relied upon i they'd rather go with a veteran that at least makes i guess predictable mistakes like i don't it's just uh, gonna yeah. say
1: there's there's no way charles bassey would have let bam or there's no like he couldn't have let bam out of bio get to wide open lobs i mean he's that's only deandre jordan is good enough to do something like that, for that. <laughs> yeah that was the defensive strategy you know he was he's forcing him to the basket
0: all right guys let's wrap it up here let's get our predictions for tomorrow's game Give us the, maybe the, the finals, like the spread of the game. You don't have to give us the score. Harrison, who do you think's win between the, the Sixers and Lakers on Wednesday? Do we know if Embiid and Harden, Harden are playing yet? Or they aren't the likely going to play, I yeah. would imagine
1: they both
2: yeah. play. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if they're going to play, I can't pick the Lakers here. Like I, I think that the Sixers will probably win pretty handily. The Lakers have been more engaged, but you know, it, it's been against mostly kind of bad team. I, the Cavs are a good team obviously, but they've been in a real funk lately, I think with injuries. And since Jared Allen went down and Stuff like that so i i can't really pick the lakers here i do think that they'll keep it close just because they have been more engaged lately and i think lebron is really gonna want to kind of go at embiid go at harden really kind of like seize you know some level of attention by beating the big big bad sixers but I, I do think that the sixers will most likely end up pulling this one off
0: Paul
1: yeah I I'm pretty much in line with that because I, I think they do keep it close because I don't know who, how the Sixers match up against LeBron. Um, Matisse Theibel is your best perimeter defender and you cannot put him on LeBron James. And um, I really don't know other, what other options you have. My prediction will probably be at some point, we will you see You can do the what Sixers. the Nuggets
2: did a couple of years ago. Just throw Millsap on it.
1: See how it goes, you know? Uh, yeah, like, let's not that. <laughs> um, but I, what the Sixers did have success with against Luka Doncic is they went zone and the zone was really effective. Um the Sixers played it very, very well. And when you have a Matisse-Dibal kind of at the head of that snake, um, that makes an enormous difference. So uh, I could see that happening where maybe LeBron gets off to a really hot start because they don't have anybody and that's how they Lakers stay in it. And then maybe that zone, the, Schicks- the Sixers shift to that. And then that is where they kind of take the game over a little bit. But I agree, Harrison, it's just too much because like with the Sixers, you stop Harden and or Embiid. You still have to deal with Tyrese Maxey. And apparently now you got to deal with Shake Milton and Furcon Korkmaz too. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I just think the Sixers are the fact that the Lakers are playing better basketball, and that they will be. Yeah, at the Sixers home, are
2: just better. Like that's yeah, not exactly yeah, like that's, that's not a slight to the Lakers. The Sixers no. are what,
1: like the third seed in the East right now, or something? Like tied for second, yeah, yeah I mean, tied it's, for second, that, yeah. So it's gonna be yeah. I, I that's I, but I think the Lakers do make it respectable because they've been playing better because LeBron is on a, a really nice run here. So I think it's 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 close, but the Sixers find a way to to win in the end.
2: I know we have to wrap up here, but just to add to your point on the zone, the Lakers have struggled with that this year and they are, they are more than willing to settle for threes. And so if they aren't going in, then uh, yeah, that could, that could end up being a long stretch of the game if Doc ends up going to that.
0: And, and of course, Paul, as we know, knowing the Sixers, like they'll go zone and Russell Westbrook will go six for six from beyond the three point line. And have <laughs> no, the game he the he actually has been loud.
2: shooting the lights out lately. Like, and like on his jump, like, I don't know. We, we've been joking at silver screen and roll that he is regressing to the mean all at once because Russ has never been a good shooter, but he's been like historically atrocious this year where normally he's just bad. And so he's just like making all the shots that he was due for earlier this year. Uh, yeah. He's been punishing teams for going under him. He seems to be confident. We'll see if uh, the Staples center crowd and playing back home shakes that confidence again, but uh on the road, <laughs> he was having a nice little stretch here.
0: It's gonna, You know what? I'm actually looking forward to the game. It's on national TV. I think the guys are going to bring it. Like you mentioned, there's a ton of storylines there with LeBron and B, the scoring title at play. Obviously the Lakers trying to stay in, looking like they're going to stay in a playing spot no matter what, but maybe got to get home court advantage. Got to get home court against the Pelicans. CJ McCollum, right? Yeah. CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, the danger. can let the Pelicans get <laughs> home court, you know?
2: They, they got a lot to play for here.
0: Well, as you mentioned, Harrison, me and Paul know this. The Sixers simply the better team hopefully they win against the <laughs> lakers on wednesday night that'll wrap things up there don't forget subscribe to liberty ballers podcast network you can catch us on apple podcast spotify you name it we are there and of course check us out at libertyballers.com harrison I want to say thank you for doing this very much and uh paul as always we're going to do this again probably again very soon so thank you both for, for hopping on
2: all right thanks guys